yesterday, I feel was a rather extraordinary day. Um, it felt a bit like a tipping point day for us um, in relation to what's going on out in the world now. And the... I would, actually, yeah, I was going over what it was that felt that, that felt different or made us take action because something happened that made us take action. I, I remember that yesterday I woke up and the first thing I read about was about Trump and the travel ban. And yeah. and then we started having a conversation about what should we be doing? Should we be changing our behaviour? Well, and one of the first things we did was we cancelled the workshop. We would have now today, as we have this conversation, be in a room welcoming people in and starting a workshop. And there was something about um, kind of making a decision that um, took the pressure off other people, um, having to uh, be worried about it. Yeah. Um, uh, feel that they had to, uh, because they signed up to it, had to come in and otherwise they wouldn't get a refund or yeah, they wouldn't yeah. have the experience. Yeah. Um, so there's something about taking responsibility for it and not putting those people in a position where they had to be in tightly packed tubes and coming into the city and um, even spending a day closely with, you know, half a dozen, ten other people. Mm. Yeah, and I know uh, that for me it's... Having read some accounts, which are first-person accounts of people's experience in Italy, and, you know, there have been tweets and articles by Italian doctors who are saying things like, you know, you are like us a few weeks ago, and we carried on as normal because we had no idea. So we can tell you, you know, stop now. You know, that idea of our story and what happens to us um, can show us a, a way to process things. And, and mm -hmm. also the survival skill part of telling a story is that you can pass your experience on to somebody else, for example, and say, don't carry on as normal, don't keep going to restaurants, don't keep doing whatever it is. Because um, otherwise. Because otherwise, look what happened to us. Well, that's something that, yes, I've really registered listening to the radio and the news over the last week or so, that when I hear somebody's story of it, not an expert speaking or not a government minister speaking, but when I hear somebody tell the story of what it's like, been like in Rome or somewhere else in the world, um, my ears prick up and it becomes much more concrete and much more real. If you think about the way we talk about um, being hardwired for story, you know, you reminded me then, as you were saying that, how we talk about stories um, being one of the earliest kind of teaching tools, mm -hmm. um, earliest in the sense of we, we use them with children, but earliest in the sense of our civilization, how cave paintings the stories that cave paintings might have told um, could very well have um, be about safety and um, <laughs> looking after yourself and um, th that idea that it's a way to um, communicate wisdom. Yeah, yes, because this, telling the story 
for the for the person who's had the experience, it's them processing that experience and understanding that experience and then telling the story is saying to other people, okay, so we can extrapolate that this, I did this, there was, you know, cause and effect, this is my story and you can extrapolate that if you did the same thing as me that this might happen to you or this is how it might feel for you or this is how it might be for you. Yes, as I've heard you say in a workshop, the cave painting that says if you go... You know, the other side of this mountain, there's a big animal that will kill you um, is a a kind of story that um, communicates something for our survival. We were talking about being hardwired for stories being a survival mechanism. And in this environment now, hearing people's stories has has really tapped into that idea of our survival, what, what we can do. Yeah, and what's what's difficult about this, the COVID-19, is that there are so many conflicting stories. And, and yes. so the, the element of which story do I choose? Do I, do I choose, well, I might just have, you know, a, a mild flu symptoms, and, and because that's what happens to most people, mm. or, mm. Um, you know, I had to stop myself reading accounts from A&E departments in northern Italy because mm. I, it was too mm. terrifying. You know, it, it, it played into my anxiety. So there are, there are a multiplicity of stories about this to come to another one, you know, another principle that we work with. There are many perspectives. I think one of the things that clearly everybody is finding really hard is... Uh, and I just heard somebody talk about this on the radio like an hour ago, the fact that we have never seen something quite like this and so we don't know. And that that not knowing, that not knowing what the end of the story is, is a, is a real, very difficult place for people to find themselves in. Mm-hmm. And that's where all the fear comes from, obviously, that, that space. What do we put into that space of not, if we think of this in story terms, you know, the, we, it's a story arc, um, and, of course, there will be a last line to this story. There will be an end to this story, but we don't know what it is. And so we're in that suspended space and we're filling that void with our anxiety mm. and, and our fear. Mm. And something else that, that happened yesterday um, was Tom Hanks and Nadine Doris within the course of um, you know, 12 hours, both were identified as people, Tom Hanks and his wife, um, people who had been diagnosed with the virus. Yeah, and today a number of football managers and footballers. I think uh, somebody in, Ch- in, you know, Chelsea Football Club, and so that's it, that shut the club down. So there's something about um, the human face of it. Mm. So we hear, you know, figures from China and figures from Italy. And then we hear maybe people telling their stories in Italy. Um, and then Tom Hanks has got it. And, you know, it, it, it takes me back to that origin story of Narrative's work with Murray Nossel, one of Narrative's founders, working with the AIDS Day programme in Brooklyn. And that being the early 90s when there was a massive amount of 
fear and ignorance around HIV and AIDS. Again, being in this kind of not knowing what the, where the story was going to end. Mm. Um, and um, the work that he was doing, recording people's stories, put a human face on that epidemic. So that illness then became individual people um, and their stories. Now, and I was reminded by that, thinking of Tom Hanks. And he put he put a very human face, a very you know, very well known face, on this epidemic, um, and suddenly it becomes a bit realer. And then you start to think, when's it going to be? Who's the first person I know? Yeah, going to be that's that's going to be diagnosed with this. So it becomes a little bit more concrete for us. Yeah, the difference between. Um as you say, just data in a story, data and numbers in a story versus, well, this is somebody that I, I know. You know, we all, you know, lots of people feel like they know Tom Hanks because, you know, they saw him in Big or they saw Forrest Gump or, you know, there is that connection. Well, he, it's an interesting because he represents quite a lot, doesn't he? Tom Hanks yeah. as being, you know, kind of the wholesome, nice guy, yeah. all American. Yeah, yeah. Everybody loves Tom Hanks. Um, yes. Which, which interestingly, um, I, I think I, I know another thing that I know about Tom Hanks is that he has type two diabetes, hmm. and so he's also been quite an interesting. Or, or, or prominent figurehead for for the for the public health issues around diabetes and type two diabetes because I think that there has been um, you know some othering of that you know people this is a disease that some people have been told well you brought that on yourself you know in exactly oh. the same way as HIV and AIDS there was that stigmatization mm. that that your bad dietary habits or your this or your that created your type 2 diabetes and and there's Tom Hanks developing type 2 diabetes and so um we don't want to judge him in the same way because for all the reasons that we've said he's wholesome so putting a human face on it suddenly yeah, okay. So it can happen. It happens. Mm. You know, stuff happens to nice people as well. Is mm. that is that what the story is? I think you've you've touched on something else there. Um when you said the word othering, the othering mm. and Donald Trump's statement about the foreign virus yeah. um, is such a, a quintessential bit of othering yeah. that, and you know, we all know um, that the virus does not discriminate, does not choose um, who it attacks. That was the difference with HIV and AIDS because it seemed to choose yeah. a certain group of people yeah. and it was very easy to other them. Yeah, and that was what um, the story work that that Murray did at that time, and any advocacy work aims to do. It aims to de other. It aims to show that um, actually there's so much more that we share than that we don't share. Mm. And of course, America are going to realise that, foreign or not, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. make any difference. And so, um, yeah. 
Well, it's like there is no other. Yeah, in the, in the same way that with HIV and AIDS, there were I, I I remember that there was this perception of innocence and guilt in respect to who contracted it. You know, so uh, if you were a haemophiliac and you contracted it um, because of a contaminated blood product, then your your relationship to it is different than somebody who contracts it because of their voluntary um, intravenous drug use or the fact that they are, yeah, that they are, um, uh, yeah, gay and practiced unsafe um, sexual practices. Yes. Yes, I think... um, I think this idea of othering is, is is what we're seeing in the world so mm. much at the moment. And actually, you know, when we say everybody has a story, it's about cutting through the othering and saying all, all stories are equal. Um, everybody's story is valid. Um, yeah, and the other stories that are coming out of this situation, as in all other situations that look like they are really bad, as well as there being hopeless or or tragedy stories, we already see emerging people doing extraordinary things. You know, medics who still turn up to go to work knowing... You know, I think there was somebody from Public Health England or from the BMA saying this morning, we know that there are healthcare workers who are going to contract COVID-19 and they are still going to turn up to work because that's, that's what they do. And on a small level here, you know, like on, on our street here, having a street WhatsApp where people are connecting with one another and saying, you know, I'm, I'm available if there's somebody who wants to talk or we can get supplies for one another if there are people self-isolating, we can help one another, that actually our desire for human connection and to help one another um, is also a really powerful driver. And that's, you know, that's what I think is the, is the opportunity for us in this thing that, that, that is already being hellish in certain parts of the globe. Mm. And, and may well be becoming that in Britain as we speak. But the opportunity in it is for us to allow connection to override the othering, because we're all in it. Well, yes, and, uh, and actually um, connection to balance this thing about isolation, yeah. isolating. Yeah. I think we're, I'm, with, I'm definitely seeing it when I open up my phone and the amount of... Um, traffic on some whatsapp groups that i'm on the amount that people are wanting to connect um in the face of um this situation which is telling us to isolate ourselves more i mean if you think of what you and i have done today we've isolated ourselves a bit Mm. more Mm. we haven't gone into town we haven't sat in that room with those people we haven't traveled on the tube we haven't put ourselves um in front of those people because one of us might have it, and we haven't subjected ourselves to those people. So we've kind of stepped back from the world today. And um, 
it feels odd. Both of us just, when we just cleared our listening, it, it feels odd. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. An, it feels yeah. an odd space to have chosen to put ourselves in. I can look out the window and see people walking down the street, but I'm choosing not to go into town today. And that whole idea of self-isolating or isolating yourself um, seems to be really bringing to the fore this need for us to connect. Um, this uh, already a number of virtual spaces seems to be, seem to be cropping up where people are saying we want to we want to, a group meet on this virtual space because we realise that we're kind of lacking. Mm. we're starting to mm. withdraw and actually how the digital world the virtual world can really help us um to connect now i find myself as you're talking i'm um really trying to listen to you and because i agree you know seeing uh the virtual world spring to life so technology um gives us a solution of course it's not a solution for everyone because there as we've said there are some people who still have to go to work to keep things going but I'm just thinking about somebody on this street who I know who lives on her own who is older who may not you know I don't know she's not part of the digital yeah, world I don't know whether she's even yeah. got a mobile never mind a, a smartphone yeah. and you know and thinking what do I need to do, do should I be putting a note through her door, um, you know, or is that just putting an object into her house that, I don't know, you know, might, might have the virus on it. I don't know. I don't think I have the virus, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah. Um, or do I knock at the door and does that make her feel more vulnerable if I say, are you okay? You know, might somebody think, well, I don't know, why shouldn't I be feeling... I, um, you know, it, it brings up all that for me, how, how to deal with the, the many perspectives on this. You know, mm. she's somebody who's, I think, in her late 70s, possibly 80s even. So she might have been alive, you know, during a war. She might have a very different take on this um, because, yeah, as a generation... Or as generations, we've been protected from a lot of this stuff. And now it's on, you know, our doorstep. So I know I think your instinct of, uh, to connect with her is good. And then just think through the best way to do that. Mm. I think that, you know, connecting with people and sharing stories. When I think of some of these virtual groups, what, what, are, we, what are we all going to do when we get onto them? Um, and I'm much less interested to hear lots of opinions about things. There's opinions flying all over the place. Um, I just want to. I just want to connect to other people's lives. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Because um, that's what it, retreating into our isolated spaces takes us away from. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm thinking about. Um, I, I. I saw a screenshot of a colleague of ours who's a teacher in Italy. And so, mm. you know, he hasn't been teaching for, well, mm. I, I don't know how long now, I don't know how many weeks. A couple of weeks probably. Yeah, schools have been suspended. And he shared uh, a screenshot, which was uh, a sort of evening uh, aperitivo. And it, it was like, a, obviously, all the teachers, I think, 
at the end of the day because they're doing virtual classes. Yes, are they meeting? But the teachers meet for, yeah, they meet every evening and have an aperitivo and just share their experiences, their stories of the day and how, you know... It's a virtual staff room, isn't it? Yeah, and how, you know, vital that's going to be for, for us all to be able to be together and connected even if we can't be together in physical space is finding ways to keep connecting i suppose i really like that aperitivo is aperitivo and something i can't remember um but they're just doing a nightly check-in it's really sweet so so yes so what 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 can this this moment give us what can we what can we learn from it in terms of the work that we do, I think, you know, our work is around listening and storytelling. And we're all listening so intently for, but for, for instructions, really, for wisdom to, to, you know, for somebody to tell us what we should do. Um, and we were trying to carve our way through that. But there's, but there's value in just listening to each other uh, as well. Um, as much as we can, being open to each other, listening to, I'm aware of, as I look out into the streets, there's a lot of people that I, that I feel I don't listen to, um, are around me, mm. um, uh, not really, you know, understanding their experience and how I might be able to support them in this moment, small, it's the global and the local you know, we're seeing this as a global thing. That's how it's being characterised now. But the local connection is um, is a space that we're being put into. Mm. You know, mm. it's our WhatsApp group on this street, um, or it's our colleagues, our virtual staff from whatever it is. It's the local that where we're going to find real um, kind of solace. And connection. Yeah, and we're going to find solace, and it's where. You know, we can take. We can make a difference. It's where we can take action. Yeah. Because, um, you know, by by helping one another out, by getting some shopping for one another, or just checking in with one another, is, is the thing that's going to make a difference locally, absolutely locally. Mm. I, we're going to learn how to respond to this. We we don't know the answers yet, and we're going to learn about it over the next few weeks, what this means. And I'm feeling heartened um, about the, um, the connections that are so kind of strongly being forged mm. in, the, in the virtual world or the, or the, um, the desire and the intention to, to connect is so strong um, that that can only be a good thing.